Welcome to The Sword and the Trowel, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trowel today. A big thank you to our fam members. If you're not a part of our Founders Alliance membership, you can be. Uh, go to founders.org. You can gather information about that. There's three different levels. You can come in as a monthly supporter. We have the shield level, the trowel level, and the sword level, and uh, various resources that we get out to those who are a part of the fam. We've got new stuff going up in the armory all the time. This is kind of like a backdoor online portal where you can find full interviews of some of the work that we did with By What Standard, along with other materials that are provided there. So thanks so much for your support. Uh, We are very excited today to have Dr. Ardell Kennedy, retired professor of New Testament in Greek at the University of Northwestern, St. Paul, Minnesota. Dr. Kennedy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, join you. Yeah, Ardell, I, I think uh, you and I first talked maybe uh, a year, year and a half ago or so. Uh, we have a mutual friend, Tom Fillinger, and he'd made reference to some of your writings. And, and so I got on, I guess it was Northwestern site or maybe your personal uh, space in that website and began to read uh, some of the documents that uh, you have authored and was greatly encouraged by them, uh, especially thinking about the whole social justice movement and some of the uh, difficult angles of that movement. You were dealing with these things back before I was even aware, and I would dare say most evangelicals were aware that we had a problem coming. Uh, you mind? You told me a story about, uh, I think it was a hire at the college that uh, was coming in to promote diversity and, and you had been asked to speak with that person on a platform and then the person canceled. Do you remember that story? Yes, it was, uh, it was actually a person who was uh, on the faculty and I had been invited to uh, participate in a faculty forum, uh, kind of a friendly forum debate mm-hmm. about um, how we as Christians ought to approach the whole matter at that time, it was flying under the banner of multiculturalism and diversity. And this was when? This was uh, this was back in uh, the fall of 1994, 94. two years after I arrived at Northwestern. Mm. So this stuff has been around for a while, huh? Yes, it has. And, it, and it's gone under different designations or, or man, banners. And, uh, of course, multiculturalism and diversity is still, uh, those are still terms that are used. But uh, social justice has become much more of a dominant uh, expression these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and it's all about the same material. And, and you saw early, I mean, in the, the things that I read that dated back uh, some over a decade, maybe two decades, uh, you saw very early uh, the dangers inherent in this in, in drifting us away from thinking biblically about the issues that were uh, being promoted as uh, th- th- that we should be concerned about as Christians. So how did that go over? I mean, as you begin to see it and to speak to this, uh, it seems to me that you didn't get a lot of hearing back in the 90s on these things. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's accurate. Um, as it is with so many issues in, uh, in our society, um, the academic realm more or less leads the way, and uh, and then the um, the ideas and the uh, beliefs that are promulgated at 
the academic level make their way into the general society largely through uh, publications, but perhaps even more so by by the graduates of the institutions as they go out to the degree that they have embraced uh, ideas and worldviews, to that degree they bring them out into the general public and uh, infiltrate society. And, and so it was, um, it was in fact, a, a very difficult uh, time, uh, even back then, in the academic setting. Mm. And uh, it's not to suggest that uh, there weren't individuals who were with me. And, and in large measure, I would say that many of my own colleagues were fully sympathetic with my concerns. But the uh, the trends in in Christian higher education at the time were very clearly pushing in a particular direction, uh, and the and the uh, main force behind that was the the at that time it was the Coalition for Christian Colleges, uh, and uh, and that has become the Council of the Coalition for Christian Colleges and Universities now. They had. They had initiatives that they were pushing that, and the issue of diversity um, and the multiculturalism was a major uh, initiative that they were pushing and on all campuses. And in order to be members of institutional members of the CCCU, they had to embrace certain certain ideas and initiatives, and that was what was going on at the time. We can certainly see those ideas you talk about uh, at play in the riots that are currently going on in your very city and then all across the nation in the wake of George Floyd's death. And um, since you're there, are you still, are you in the St. Paul area now? We are, yes. So just kind of give us your firsthand account. What is it like to have all of that right there in your city? Uh, how have you been processing everything from uh, George, George Floyd's death to these riots that now seem to sadly uh, be trying to overshadow um, what happened to him, the grievous situation that he experienced and what Christians should be doing about it? Well, we live, we live in an area which is... Uh, perhaps uh, 20 miles north of uh, Minneapolis, downtown Minneapolis. So we are, we are on the outer ring of, um, of the suburbs of the, around the Twin Cities. And, and, never, and, and we're in a different county as well. But um, our county and other counties around the uh, metropolitan area have all been under uh, a curfew for the last three nights. Um, and uh, there have been uh, there have been indications of um, the violence spreading out uh, from the center of the, of the Twin Cities out into the suburbs, and there have been cases where um, where looting and rioting have taken place, damage not too far from where we are, about five miles uh, at a at the mall in our town, um, and so. We, we feel it, uh, and of course, the only people who are abiding by the, uh, the curfews are those who are law-abiding citizens. So we sit in our home uh, after the curfew is in a place 
watching uh, flagrant uh, violations of the uh, curfew all about throughout the by the protesters and rioters, and it's and it's very difficult to distinguish between the two mm. um, these days because uh, that the violence has uh, overshadowed <clears throat> any of the protesting. Um, but it's uh, it, it's definitely uh, inflamed uh, passions, uh, and and I've noticed that very definitely on on social media. And, and by the way, I regard my participation on social media as, uh, as a ministry, uh, as, a, as a Christian minister, as, as an ordained minister, and as a professor for all these years. I have always approached uh, social media as a ministry, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, I re- and I regard my role as a teacher and a preacher. And so I'm, I use the uh, social media to teach. And um, and I and the very day after the very morning after the the horrible uh, well, I regarded it as a, a murderous act by a Minneapolis police officer taking and snuffing the life out of uh, George Floyd. The very morning after that, I wrote about that and appealed to my to be calm, to maintain calm, and to and to take, keep the focus on the humanity of this man and mm. the dignity of his life as a man made in the image of likeness of God. And, um, and I got a lot of pushback, mm. um, because of that, because of, because of course I didn't immediately racialize the event. It's, it's a sad reality that we encounter that we live in a society that if you don't participate in, in the, in the world views of the grace, and I'm talking about Christians included in this. Christians who, to one degree or another, have been significantly influenced by the worldview around them. If you don't participate in that and and immediately leap to the conclusion that this was a racialist act, uh, then you are then you are going to be uh, you're going to suffer uh, the consequences. Yeah, we've seen and that. I don't. And we've seen that already on social media and beyond. And one of the things I've appreciated about what you have done in addressing this is you, you've tried to call us back to think biblically. And, and, and the Bible does teach us how to evaluate these types of events. So what would you say to folks who, who say, well, of course, we know that this is just further examples of the uh, racism that is rampant in the United States. Here's just one more example of a, of a white cop who is killing a black man because of racism. How do, you, how do you help Christians especially to think about that narrative that has just uh, been unquestioned almost for the last week? Well, it seems to me that as Christians, we ought to recognize that we ought to be such people that we, in the moment, in the very moment of life, we have to make decisions concerning what we're going to say, how we're going to behave, and and we have to make decisions very quickly sometimes about what we're how we how we're going to act and uh, and speak. And if we don't 
recognize that that is a moment in which the gospel and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the wisdom granted to us by the Spirit, if that moment is not under the control and the sway of the gospel, when we make those decisions, we are going to sin. And in order to do, in order to act in a holy, righteous way, we need to be so thoroughly bathed and saturated and marinated in the gospel that our, that our actions are, and our impulses are governed by the gospel. Which means then that when I see the actions of a man like Derek Chauvin, squeezing the life out of a man under his knee, I also have to recognize that I don't have the right to assume what that man's motives are. I can speak to the horrors of that moment and condemn in the loudest possible voice that this man has committed a murderous act and say nothing more than that because the man's skin, the skin of the man under the, who was under the knee of this man is an incidental matter to being human. That's not the essence of his humanity. The essence of his humanity is the fact that he's made in the image and likeness of God. And this man, Derek Chauvin, had utter disregard and contempt for the man under his knee. And I don't know what his motives were, but I can say this: he had hate in his heart. And what was the and and, the, and what was the motivation of that hate? I don't know. But I would want, I would not want to be judged by my God as presuming wrongly as to that man's motive. We can condemn the act without getting into the assessment of the motive. That is for the court to, to determine. That is for a jury to observe and decide. It's not for me at the moment when I see this horrendous action being done. But so, that's, I think, where we need to uh, keep our focus. But the, what you just articulated is so different than what we're hearing from um, trusted voices among evangelical leaders, you know, who who've come out and they seem to just uh, imbibe the, the the narrative that, of course, of course, we know that this was an act of blatant racism and condemn it then to the applause of our culture uh, without going into what you just said about this is an image bearer of God. And, and it's almost like the reality that this, this is a creature made in God's image. This is a, a fellow human being, that that gets lost and, and downplayed. Why do you think that is? Why, why do you think it's difficult or, or we've not heard much from Christian leadership articulating the kind of... Uh, concerns and framing this issue the way you just framed it? Well, I think that there are a number of factors that play into that. And I'm, I'm, I'm confident that I'm not going to touch on all of them by any uh, stretch of the imagination. But it seems to me that it seems to me that one of the uh, factors that, that brings us to that is, is, is this, that unless we are consciously 
engaging our culture and the ideas and the worldviews that are promulgated therein. Unless we're engaging that all from a, from a, a properly critical posture, a Christian critical posture, we are to, to, to one degree or another going to absorb that that worldview. Mm. And and to the degree that we absorb a, a worldview is, that is subversive to and antithetical to the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview, to that degree we are going to be influenced to um, toward that toward that position and uh, and leap to certain conclusions. But I think I think that another another factor is this: is that we always must keep before our eyes the fear of the Lord. Mm. Do we fear God or do we fear humans? And if we fear humans, we are going to placate the, our fellow humans so that they do not judge us harshly or severely or judge us at all. And and I've been living with this for 30 plus years when I was in the, in the ministry in the church as well as um, Throughout my career as a as a university professor, I've had to uh, bear the, the scorn, the scowls, the uh, abuses, being charged as a racist, being charged even as a white supremacist. I know that it's all false, but I'm not going to adopt the way of the world to placate human judgments of me. Because to do that is to displease my God. The Lord God has the right to judge me, and I will follow my conscience as I understand the Word of God, and I will not participate in that approach. This really is an opportunity for Christians to get sucked up into another worldview. So, Dr. Kennedy and Tom, you both alluded to this other other system of thought. You even started out the segment here about talking about social justice. So uh, there, there seems to be many Christians that don't know what's really going on. There is a there's a Christian worldview that exists, and then there's this other worldview. If you go back to the movie or the film By What Standard that we did, you can see that worldview detailed. It includes the idea of intersectionality, where we divide people up, identity politics that wants to make things about male oppression of women or about white oppression of black uh, people. And so the problem is, is that uh, there really are such things. And so that other worldview that um, practices intersectionality uh, is a tantalizing one. People get sucked up into it. So there's a lot of Christians that are wanting to say, wait, make sure that you don't get caught up into that way of thinking um, that is antithetical to scripture. But I, I think to help all of that, that group there in the middle that could get caught up, you have to really deal with this situation because uh, there's a lot of people that are going to say, well, this is, isn't a lot of good Christians are going to be saying, well, isn't it about race? I mean, how can I get around the fact that there's a white police officer with his knee on the neck of a black man? And I go back and I think about slavery and I know that, um, I know that my grandparents were much closer to that, those realities. There's Jim Crow laws, there's segregation. And it just seems to me I'm, I'm seeing the same kind of thing over and over again. 
one point of wisdom is to say you actually have to take the case objectively and say, what do we know? And Dr. Kennedy, you mentioned that, you know, this man snuffed out the life of George Floyd. And um, I think you alluded to contempt in his heart against the man. Well, that, that's one thing that has to be explored, even when it comes to is this first, second or third degree murder kind of situation. Second, having this idea of a some kind of crime where there is animosity in the heart. And third would be more uh, negligence going on. If there indeed is um, animosity from the police officer to the man, what what I want all of these Christians that are having to sort the situation out to hear is uh, it very well could be that he is a racist man, that the, that the contempt he has in his heart toward George Floyd is based on race. And if it is, if there's racial malice in his heart, well, that's a fair definition of racism, but that has to be explored. We don't know that instinctively. Uh, we don't know that right away. Uh, we have... Um, the overuse of force by police that's a massive problem and we certainly have massive racial problems in america that have to be dealt with but when you come to a particular circumstance we really have to step back from it and say okay let these people do the investigations to figure out what happened if you go to this officer's home and you find that he's got all kinds of kkk paraphernalia in his home uh, well then now we're seeing a, a story um, develop but what's concerning is how quickly it can be racialized. The situation can be racialized. And then the narrative is, well, we know this is the case when there actually hasn't been that work of discovering it. So for all those Christians out there listening that are hearing this and saying, well, you know, these guys just aren't dealing with the facts. They're not acknowledging what's going on. It, there could be things discovered that would make that clear that it was not only negligence or even animosity, but a racial animosity. Um, but that work needs to be done before we draw those kinds of conclusions. Does that sound like a fair assessment to you, Dr. Kennedy? I believe so. But yeah, it seems to me that I would be hard-pressed, and I think anybody would be hard-pressed, to make the case that, that, there is, that there is anyone who could possibly murder another human being without hatred in the heart. Of course there was hatred in the heart of of, I believe, one who's properly called a murderer, namely Derek Chauvin, seems to me that he hated this human being. I don't know why he hated him, but he hated him. And, and hatred of that sort ends in murder. Back in 1998, there was a case in Texas, a man by the name of James Byrd, a black man was chained up and dragged behind a pickup until he perished. And um, and the and the those who were uh, guilty of his murder were brought to a trial. And as I recall, there was a there was a gentleman who was the uh, the lead individual. And he may have been the only one, but he was uh, sentenced to death. And of course, there was an outcry at the time, and that, and that was when George W. Bush was governor. There was an outcry against Governor uh, Bush at that time that this should have been tried as a hate crime, and there should have been a hate crime a law in place. Well, here's the problem with hate crime when it comes to murder. What murder is not done by, out of hatred? And to, and to, to, to complain and gripe and to express a grievance that, that this is a special kind of murder 
um, because it entails racism. Racism is a form of hatred. Hatred is the what is the motive behind the murder. Should we should we should Texas have put the, put this man this perpetrator this murderer to death more than once? I mean that's the that's the idea that's behind this, and so so even our justice system with regard to the notion of of crime and and, and calling for hate crime is a kind of worldview thinking that that is subversive to right thinking about justice and uh, and 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 illegality and and crime. We need to we need to step back as Christians and really get a grip on things and recognize that that we can be very easily infiltrated with views and beliefs that are antithetical to the, those things that we have professed as Christians, mm. and these things are subversive to the gospel. It's, Amen. It's, it's very terrifying when I think about where we are going and what's going on in our country today and the fact that these riots have spread not only throughout the United States but into Canada and elsewhere. Yeah, you know, it's an excellent point. And and what compounds it in my mind in uh, making it even worse is that it seems like we have so few Christian voices speaking out in, in keeping with what you just said. God has given us his standard. God's given us the word. And we ought to be evaluating everything by the word. But that doesn't seem to be happening much. And I do think you touched on it exactly right because there seems to be so little fear of God among us today. And there's the fear of the Twitter mob or there's the fear of uh, not being uh, regarded as uh, on the right side of history or whatever it might be. And consequently, it seems like Christians are being set up to be led along in a bad way of thinking and living, misrepresenting what God actually does say about justice, and consequently then Mm -hmm. having no ground to stand on to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ where God sends his own son into the world to take on sin so that we might be forgiven and stand justified before him, having real sin completely removed by what Jesus has done. If we're if we're following this narrative and imbibing it, then it just denigrates the grace of God in Christ ultimately. And yet I don't know that Christian leaders are thinking this way, but it is grievous to see how many of them, when they speak on this, are speaking right along the current worldview's party line and are missing the opportunity to speak for God. Let me ask you, with the riots and with the uh, protests that are going on, so many protests have started out as peaceful. We had a peaceful protest Sunday night here in Fort Myers, and uh, there were people that were uh, very passionate, and yet they were very committed to being um, uh, within the law in taking their rights to express their uh, concerns about what has happened in some portion of society, specifically with the death of George Floyd. And so praise God for that, that we have a country like that. But then so many of these protests have been co-opted by folks that seem to have an agenda of just destroying, deconstructing society, overthrowing 
what they see as uh, being perhaps the culprits in a system that has been rigged against certain people or, or maybe even for more nefarious motives than that. Uh, have you observed that? And, and what are your thoughts about how these riots seem to be uh, moving in a direction that, again, is contrary to what God calls us to pursue as his people uh, here representing him with the gospel of Jesus on earth? Yes. Um, none of this has surprised me. I've lived long enough, and I know that you folks have lived long enough as well, that you're not surprised by any of this. This, of course, is precisely why I administered the caution that I did on uh, on uh, the morning after the, this, um, this murder, when I made the appeal and said, let us not allow this murderous act to divide us into competing interest groups. Let us not do that. We need to stand in unity with all peoples and, and express our proper Christian moral outrage against this murderous act. And I've protested. I've protested this act, but I have done so from the calmness and quietness of my home because, because social media allows for me to express an outrage, and I have a large leadership. I don't have to go down, and as a matter of fact, I wouldn't go down to a place and participate in a large crowd of, of protestation. And, and, here, and here, there are two reasons, at least two reasons why I wouldn't do it. One, as soon as we participate in a large crowd of protestation uh, that is legitimately angry <laughs> protestation, um, we are we are mixing we're mixing ourselves with a very large mixed group of individuals who at any moment could flash and flare into a mob and i'm not going to be participating in mob action but a second reason that i wouldn't do this is that as as a christian minister and as one who has had a position of leadership responsibility, I am, I am persuaded in my own heart that I need to be very careful with regard to movements that I link our arms with, lest I induce others whose consciences are not free. <laughs> I have a free conscience. I could do it. But I, but I, but I could do I could do it as a free conscience individual, but I won't do it, lest I induce those whose consciences are not free with regard to these things and not capable of making a proper moral decision about these things, lest I induce them to join up themselves up with a large mob of people that they will seriously regret joining. Um, later on once the once things erupt and so i think that it's i think it's incumbent on us as ministers of the gospel to be very careful that we do not 
induce others to act against their own consciences. In other words, Romans 14 um, enters in here because to act against conscience uh, and to be swept away with emotion and the um, and the movement of others is to um, is to sin. And I do not want to participate in, in inducing others to sin against their own consciences. Mm. Well, those are a couple of reasons why I think we need to be very careful about that. Dr. Kennedy, uh, it's been wonderful to have you on the Sword and the Trowel, yes, and uh, we're definitely thinking about you all as you're up there. Hopefully these riots will calm down very soon, but uh, do pray for George Floyd's family as they grieve. Uh, pray for the civil officials who will be uh, examining this case and then prosecuting this case. Pray for the officer and his family that... God would humble that man and uh, help him during this time, reveal Christ to him. And then pray for all of these cities. Uh, So many cities across America are now up in flames and uh, pray that uh, God would put an end to that and that Christ would be magnified even through these very real difficulties. Thank you again, Dr. Kennedy, for being with us. It's been wonderful to have you here on the Sword and the Trowel. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. We will also link at uh, our podcast to your social media platform so folks can read further your thoughts about this and other issues going on in our world.